This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. You had to know that when Wingstop set out to make a crispy, juicy chicken sandwich, they wouldn't make it in just one flavor. They'd make it in all 12. Like lemon pepper, mango habanero, hickory smoked barbecue, and OG hot. So why have one new favorite chicken sandwich when you can have 12? Try the new sauced and tossed Wingstop chicken sandwich today for only $5.49 at Wingstop, where flavor gets its wings. Valid for a limited time and available at participating Wingstop locations only while supplies last. Price subject to applicable taxes and fees. And welcome again to Cottage Talk. I am Russ Goldman. Joining me right now is Dan Crawford from Hamian.com. In this episode, Dan and I are going to do our midseason review of Fulham. And obviously, being top of the table, there are many more positives than negatives. But we're also going to look at what's been going wrong for Fulham. Before we get going, I want to welcome back a very good friend. I call him my mentor because you are, Dan. You basically are my teacher of Fulham. Welcome back to Cottage Talk. Well, it's a pleasure to be with you, Russ. Merry Christmas to you and all your listeners and your families and everybody at this uh, special time of year. Well, Merry Christmas, Dan, to you. And as you said, all the listeners everywhere around the world, I I second that motion. And uh, listen, uh, Fulham go into the uh, Christmas period, top of the table. Unfortunately, there was not a match, but we're going to talk about where they are, Dan. And uh, I look forward to doing this with you. And as I've said several times on this show, listen, I've been doing this show for 10 years. And this show doesn't continue without Dan Crawford. After uh, Kyle moved to Australia, I had a hard time finding a way to do the show. And uh, Dan stepped in and was fantastic, along with other members of Hamian.com, and has come on to Cottage Talk uh, when he's been able to. And uh, Dan, I appreciate you being with me today. But again, let's get to it. And I told you to start the show. Let's start where Fulham are now. Before we really review it, let's start where they're ending right now, which is unfortunately on a loss. So I'm going to give a quick Russ's rant. And I'm calling it Stop the Bleeding. And I got this term actually from what is being used here in Massachusetts to describe the Patriots. Because after a bad loss, especially the coach and the players 
they do a lot of self-evaluating, figuring out what's been going wrong to stop the bleeding and get back to winning ways. And that's exactly what Fulham need to do here, Dan. They need to stop the bleeding. But I think what they also need to do is they need to look at themselves honestly, not just in this last loss, and say, this is what's going right. This is what's going wrong. I'm talking about the coaching staff, Marco Boa, and that entire staff, but also the players, and really take a hard look at it at each other and say, you know what? This is what's going wrong, and this is how we're going to fix it as players and as coaches to stop the bleeding because whenever that next match is, they need to get back to winning ways. We saw that after the Coventry City match. They need to do it again because this team is capable of winning the league. They are totally capable. They are top of the league right now. There's no reason why they cannot, but teams have figured out Fulham. There's a game plan to beat Fulham. Now Fulham need to react to that. I'm talking about, as I just said, everyone needs to look at it hard and not just accept, well, we can't do anything anything about it. They can, Dan. They absolutely can. But they need to look at themselves. And that's what I mean by taking a hard look and figure a way to stop the bleeding by getting all three points as soon as possible. So, Dan, I'm going to go to you. I want to get your thoughts again before we really review the season so far. My thoughts of stop the bleeding and what's been going on with Fulham, especially that last match. You had some good thoughts, and I want to mention this. Please do listen to the latest episode of Fulmish where Dan is on, and they did some really good evaluation. Psycho, psycho. They're doing some good analysis of exactly what went wrong in that last match, in that last loss, Dan, which was very disappointing against Sheffield United. So what are your thoughts about my little rant here? Well, I'll make you right. I, I, I don't think anybody will be pleased with the way Fulham have been playing of late. And you're right to say that it's not just a one-off, that this defeat that, that, that uh, we suffered on Monday night had been coming, I think, for for a few games. You know, we, we, we now haven't won in five matches and four of those were draws. Um, and I think even the most pessimistic of Fulham fans going into that little run of fixtures would have... <laughs> would have expected a little bit more um, than, than what was delivered. So clearly there are some things to fix and, and perhaps we'll touch on those in a in a moment. Right. Um, but I, I do want to caution about um, going overboard the other way. Totally in agree, Dan. In terms of overreacting to a defeat. Um, because let's be plain about it, Fulham didn't play well on Monday. Nope. They looked like they were outfought and outbattled by by Sheffield United, which, fr- frankly, is unacceptable. Um, but on another evening, Alexander Mitrovic's shot would have dropped in the top corner, like <laughs> I thought, like I thought it was going to, and Harry Wilson would have followed up to score. You know, and arguably, um, we wouldn't have allowed uh, Illiman and die the freedom of of the pitch to run 70 yards and put it in the bottom <laughs> corner. You know, um, all, all of these things added, taken together um, had the potential to change what, regardless of what how frustrating it was, was a fairly narrow um, defeat. Right. Um, and I think you, when you talk about sort of self-evaluation and um, monitoring uh, and reflecting on a performance and, and a, and a and a, and, a, and, a, and a series of performances 
then you have to um, look at the totality of, of the situation and whilst Fulham have been underperforming for a little while they are top of the table that's right I, I don't see a compelling contender um, coming from behind them I, I feel like the three or four sides who are in that top four at the moment are likely to be there in those positions come the end of the season maybe not in those final positions but they'll right. be contesting the the two automatic um, promotion places so I think it's important to reflect upon a, a good uh, first half of the season and not to go overboard because you know um, we're, we're all social media addicts um, <laughs> to, a, to a large degree we all see what people are saying we all talk about Fulham in our in our spare time and we're all prone to hyperbole and it sometimes just um, just uh, pays to to step back a little bit and, and consider the whole picture so that's I agree. not to that's not to um, detract from the fact that that was a very poor performance and you know Marco Silva is meticulous and he will already I think have imparted a message to his players um, about what was lacking in that performance and what has been lacking of late and and frankly they're very easy fixes in terms of um, how you re-energise that forward line that's looked a little uh, right. tired I think um, in recent weeks and I do think fatigue comes into it you're playing more regularly in this month of December than, than in um, than in previous months you have the um, sort of overall grind of a championship season and you mentioned something as well which I think is perhaps the most accurate teams now have a template with which to tackle uh, how Fulham play and beat them they and do Dan they have a blueprint they now know how to do it so now you have to react to it. And we'll talk about that in just a second because uh, I want to dive into that a little bit more. But I want to focus on what you just said. You talked about do not overreact. Look at where we are. Dan, we're going to look at where we are because as we always talk about on Cottage Talk, the where we are right now is actually very good. And we should really just analyze that. And I just want to just share basically the top four. And when you look at it, yes, right now, the, the point differential is only two. But we'll talk about the goal differential in a second because that, to me, is a massive story in all this. But when you look at half a season, Dan, Fulham are first, and you talked about maybe the f top four places could stay the same. They might flip around a little bit. I tend to agree with you. Maybe QPR gets into that. Got to give them credit for what they're doing. But I think generally F – if we look at the top four, I think potentially, I think West Brom will and Fulham and Bournemouth will be the top three and maybe Blackburn sticks around. I don't know. But I, you know, again, this is a credit to these four teams. But the bottom line, and I wanted to share this graphic to everyone, Dan, is that Fulham are top of the league. And that's a, a, that's a very good accomplishment right now. And we shouldn't minimize what is going on with Fulham overall. That's why I want to do this mid-season review because it's easy to look at the last match and, as you said, on social media to overreact. But I'm going to share this right now, and this is something that David Holly, former co-host, used to say to me all the time. Dan, 
The table does not lie for Fulham. This is actually what has transpired over over the course of the season, mid-season. They deserve to be top of the league, Dan. I, I can't get past that. Oh, look, I think, if I'm honest with you, I, I, I think I came on to your program right before the start of the season, um, at the very beginning, before the Middlesbrough game at, at, at Craven Cottage, and we talked a little bit about our hopes for the season and, and how things might pan out. If I'm honest with you, I didn't expect Fulham to um, be in such a strong position at this point in the season. It makes a big difference because every other time we've gone for promotion from the Championship, we've been playing catch-up with teams who have already established a good cushion right. between themselves and the playoff contenders or between uh, or in the playoffs and uh, and outside and playing catch up in the championship is physically and mentally very demanding and almost impossible um, because once you get on a run as we've seen in either way it's difficult to shift momentum um, so look I'm not overly concerned about the fact that um, we only have a two-point lead over Bournemouth or when Bournemouth were um, well ahead of us. I wasn't particularly concerned about the, the minutiae of the immediate picture. It's the fact that Fulham are up there. It's the fact that we're delivering uh, performances. And if you take a look at championship history, you know, the la- of the last um, 10 sides to be top of the championship at Christmas, only one has failed to gain automatic promotion. Um, so it suggests that for all we talk about the unpredictability of the championship, a right. pattern is established and teams become very difficult to catch. So I think despite the fact that we clearly haven't been playing as well in the last five matches as we did in the earlier part of the season, there are positive signs there. But equally, the margin is so, you know, it's fraught with danger and it's easy to fret about it because, you know, it can flip around in the course of one afternoon at, at, at this point. You know, I actually think, and this is going to be, this is going to be quite a bold uh, statement, Russ. Go ahead, Dan. But I actually think that if you look at that top five or six, yep. I, don't, I don't fear any of those teams in a one-off match. Neither between, do I. Between ourselves and, um, and the opponents, you know. I think we've handled all of those teams well um, in in the first phase, first set of matches. Um, where we seem to have difficulty, ironically enough, is against teams sort of lower down the table, um, who 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 frustrate us. So right. we need to we, we we need to work on that. But look, this is a very positive position. Yes. Um, for for Fulham to be in at, at, at this point, but in the same way that we can't um, go overboard about recent defeats it would be it would be fatal for us to sit there and think the job is done and you know we're top of the table and we can you know we can take things for granted i don't know if there's an element of that in the last few matches that players begin believe the hype a little bit maybe i, I don't know i maybe. don't know i don't know the players well enough right to to to, to make that judgment um but complacency is a real vice in this this league um, as you know, having having watched it for so long, anybody can beat anybody. Right. And we have a target on our backs now. Right. 
And but that's again, that's actually a good sign that they have a target, Dan, because that means that they're doing something right, and they are doing something right. And I want to share this with you because we are just focusing on the table. Because when we look at the season so far, and right after this, we will talk about and get your thoughts on what's been going wrong lately and how phone could potentially fix it. I think if you look at the goal differential, it is almost like another point, Dan, but it is such a chasm right now between the other teams. That goal differential is massive, but I think it also tells the story. It tells the story of how many goals Fulham are scoring. And also they're really not giving up as many goals as people might think. I believe they have given up the second least amount of goals or third, somewhere around there. So that tells the story in itself. They deserve their place where they are. And, um, like you said, they have to figure out what's been going on lately. Is it complacency? I don't know. But overall, when you have scored that many goals and you've not given up that many goals, you deserve to be where you are. Well, it's a good recipe, Russ, for, for, for success. And I think a lot of that is down to the way Marco Silva seeks to play the game. And we've definitely seen an alteration in style since he became the, the full manager, um, to which both you and I... Um, appreciate, I think, um, how, how how the team has evolved and and the the accent on a, attacking football. Now, um, you're absolutely right. Goal difference could be vital in a, in a in a tight league um, like this. And you know, were you to put up the table again, we could see how um, stark the the uh, Fulham goal difference is in, in comparison to, to the other leading sides. And you're right to focus on both both ends of that. It helps to have Alexander Mitrovic um, <laughs> in, in, in your team. Um, although, you know, he's on a, he's not he's only scored one in four. I know. In Russ. He's so off that, form. <laughs> that obviously constitutes a serious goal drought for, uh, for Mitrovic. Um, and uh, it helps to have Alexander Mitrovic in your team, for sure. Uh, and yeah. he will he will contribute to that. But I think you you know the the thing I was most worried about at the start of the season was were we going to defensively be strong enough to withstand the sort of physical play and more direct play of opponents? How how are we able to construct a defensive uh, strategy that deals with? What can happen in in the in the championship? And you have to give immense credit to uh, to the to the defenders for this. Um, Tosin Adarabio has yep. large, largely been brilliant. He's having a little blip at the moment, I think. Um, and you know what can you say about Tim Ream? You know, literally every year people write write him off and say it's it's over for Tim Ream. You know, he can't do it anymore. And literally. Every time in the championship, he's there, and he seems a very good fit for the way Fulham want to play. You know, the fact that he's still doing it at 34 um, is it, remarkable. It now, is. That's not to say that we're not going to need to make, um, make uh, sign reinforcements at some point if we have hopes of progressing uh, up the English football pyramid. You know, that's certainly going to have to happen. Um, but those two elements are, are, are very impressive um, and, and it's worth an extra point. And psychologically, I think it counts for something as well when other teams look at Fulham because you have some goal threats that you have to counter, not just Mitrovic, you know, 
Uh, Neeskins is scoring a few more goals. Uh, Harry. Harry, Wil- Harry Wilson not being, um, not notwithstanding that miss uh, on, mo- on Monday <laughs> night. But Harry Wilson looks a, looks a serious player um, at this level. And I would hope that the likes of Kearney, uh, Fabio Carvalho uh, and Bobby Deckard over Reed could chip in with goals as they have done already this season but just with a little bit more regularity I think that's the part where um, if that happens you can be fairly confident that Fulham are going to go on to a strong finish to the season and and that's what we need you almost need to put that first first half of the season out of your mind now if you're connected with the Fulham players because with the Fulham squad because you know this is where the, the the serious stuff begins. Everyone now knows how we're going to play, so it's about um, offering a new way of, uh, uh, of of approaching things, possibly, um, and uh, beginning to to um, to put some distance between ourselves and the uh, and the chasing pack. And that's the frustrating thing about the last few weeks. We yes, passed up. A they had the opportunity, Dan. Yeah, that's it. We passed up a few opportunities to, to you know, build the kind of cushion from which um, you're in a much more comfortable position. Okay, excellent, Dan. All right, we're going to move on, and we're going to go back, and as we look at the rest of the season, and then we're going to go back, we are going to actually rate a good amount of the players and Marco in just a bit. But before... We do that. I want to really drill down with Dan and talk about this. Fulham have been figured out. We've already talked about there is a blueprint to beating them. There absolutely is. And I actually saw a comment that I want to share, Dan, because you actually said this and you had a very good conversation with Jack Collins on the phone this show and and, and the uh, other host, Sammy, and uh, co-host as well. But this is what Max shared, and I think this is – the crux of the issue, Dan, because I think this affects everything else. Our midfield is struggling badly. So, Dan, I, I agree with this. And you were talking about the issues in central midfield. And I think this is where, if I'm Marco, this is where I have to really analyze what's going on here. Because when I look back at the last match and watching it live, what's interesting about it is I thought Fulham were very predictable. It would go to one side. It would go to, say, Cabano. Then Cabano would pass it back to Robinson. Robinson would pack, pass it to Reed. Reed would pass it to Tosin. Tosin then would go to the other side. It kept going back and forth, and it was very predictable. They were being extremely conservative. It reminded me a little bit under Parker, where they were just looking for that open. They couldn't find it, and they just kept going from side to side, and it just wasn't working. But I think part of the issues, Dan begins in central midfield. So you talked a little bit about this on Fulmish. I want to talk about it now because Fulham haven't figured out. So how do they fix it? And are the problems in central midfield? Well, so there's clearly an issue um, with how the system functions in that, in that engine room area now um, because we first of all, we weren't expecting Jean, to see Jean Michel Serry play for Fulham again. I don't think. No, in, I don't think in, we were in, in June or July. And it's important to caveat what I'm about to say with the with the acknowledgement that Serry has been for the mo- for the most part sensational as a Fulham player uh, in the, in this period. Um, 
and shown the pedigree that, that we all hoped he would have. But also, you know, to come in after a long period on the sidelines into a division he doesn't know and to dictate the game like that is is very impressive. And likewise, you know, Harrison Reed is arguably our our best um, holding midfielder, has been for some time and has made a huge difference to, to the Fulham side. But I do worry about the balance. And we talked about this, as you say, on Fulhamish with, uh, with Sammy, um, with Jack and with Joe on uh, Monday, or Tuesday rather. Um, now, my, my, my consternation with this is actually with Marco Silva. Okay. Really. Fundamentally, I think he's trying to transform Harrison Reed into something he, Reed will never be. You know, they are trying to make Harrison Reed into a box-to-box midfielder. Yes. And I have a problem. I have a fundamental issue with this because I don't think that's his skill set. There right. Are couple, there are a couple of times on Monday in the first half in particular where he got the ball down the right side and broke into the penalty area and he didn't seem to know quite what to do when he got to his destination. Now, that's not a criticism of Harrison Reed because he doesn't have that skill set to unlock a defence with a pass. He's not the best at striking a shot on goal. You know, because these are all elements of his play that have not been honed as much because he's been playing in a more um, defensively minded role. Right. And actually, my problem with it is I think playing in a deeper defensively minded role is where he adds great benefit to Fulham. Totally agree. His capacity to read the game, his capacity to intercept and um, read danger as it as it appears. And then his ability to give the ball to more gifted passing footballers. And I actually think you've got Seri and Reed the wrong way around in this system. <laughs> because you sacrifice, That's what you, said, yeah. you sacrifice Seri's ability to play. You know, Look at that ball he played for, for Harry Wilson um, a few weeks ago. That lovely scoop, oh, fantastic. Scoop, scoop pass where Wilson um, scored. I want to see Jean-Michel Seri in a position where he can try that regularly. It may not always come off because, you know, you don't get everything you want um, in life. Um, but I want to see him trying it more. He's going to yeah. have much less success from a deeper position inside his own half at influencing the play in the final third. Now, we're going to have a chance to test how the Fulham midfield looks without Sean Mikel Seri fairly shortly. That's right. When he, when he goes off to play in the African Cup of Nations for Ivory Coast. Um, now, it'll be interesting to see what Silver does then, but I think Monday night summed up the problem, which is we ended up with Seri trying to track back for the goal and failing yeah. when you would have wanted Harrison Reed doing that and vice versa when we had the ball in a, in a forward area. Um, I'm not sure that it's quite as simple as I've, I've laid it out, and I think there are other players who might come into the reckoning. You know, I think we're going to need to see Nathaniel Chalabar. I agree, Dan. Totally agree. You know, I feel like he might have that skill set that we lack. But I also feel like we need more Tom Kearney. And there's an open question about where Kearney's best position is and whether you can play Kearney, Seri and Carvalho in the same 
Oh, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's also interesting because I think you need to figure out exactly these three parts of the puzzle, Dan. And I think that's very interesting that you said this because I remember at the beginning of the season, Harrison Reed talking about that his role had changed. And I'm just thinking to myself, I'm glad that you said this. I've been thinking about this for the longest time. Why are you changing someone's role where their skill set is something else and play to the strengths of, of their uh, skill set? And that would be uh, that defensive midfield role. I'll give you an example. Again, different formation, different time. But two players that play together have two very different roles. And I, I think you'll appreciate this. I'm talking about my favorite Fulham player of all time, Danny Murphy. Danny Murphy was a playmaker from central midfield. Who did he have next to him? Dixon Atuhu. Would you ever ask Dixon Atuhu to play Danny Murphy's role? You wouldn't. You wouldn't. And oh, when well, I look Mark, at... Mark Hughes did at one point, and it didn't go so well. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You're right about that. But I think when you play to a player's strength, you're going to get the most out of them. I'll give you another example. When even Savisa did this, play Tom Kearney out wide. It just doesn't work, Dan. You know, when, it, when you take a player and try to change who he is and what his strengths are, I think you get less out of him. And I think that there's a reason why Marco's trying to get Harrison Reed to play that box-to-box midfielder. But his skill set screams defensive midfielder. And then again, I'm glad that you brought this up because if you go back to that last match, maybe if Harrison Reed was back there and not Sarri, that goal never happens, Dan. Well, let me throw another name into the mix. Go ahead. Um, go ahead. Know, if Stephanie Hansen was... Oh, I was, think, in, I was thinking of that to myself was, the other day. You are a, right. We're still in a full Are shirt. we missing Stephanie Hansen? Actually, Steve Reynolds, who I know is watching right now, says we need a Kevin McDonald type, Dan. Mm, mm. Well, look, I mean, these are all very good points. I, I, I think there's a lot of um, truth in, in in both of those suggestions. Uh, but I would just caution that this is a different uh, setup that that Fulham are playing with now, Russ. You know, right. We we don't. Yeah, he don't. Silver doesn't play with a defensive midfielder. In I the know way that you can that you Canovic did with McDonald. I know you know, they don't. They, they they don't really do that in, in in this system. Now you could argue that maybe that's um, that's what should happen to react to what has been going wrong of late because it would give them more protection right in front of in front of the back four. But then you are you may well lose the um, the attacking play. The attacking, I know the, it's the, the, the emphasis. Yeah. You know. It's like one of the. It's like my attempt at uh, cooking the Christmas dinner, which I'm about to begin after <laughs> I, after I after I finish this show with you. Um, if if one if one, I, I don't know if you're the cook in your household, Ross, and maybe this is prying too personally into your domestic. That's okay. That's okay. But if, but if one if one uh, one ingredient is altered or left out entirely, it has a dramatic impact on the end result. You know, uh, right. as I know, to my to my cost many a time. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, hopefully that's not going to happen with my um, with with my Christmas dinner and my and my roast potatoes. But who knows? Okay, um, 
to to bring it to bring it back to Fulham right. mercifully mercifully as you <laughs> you would want me to um uh i think there there is an issue in, in in central midfield you've got the opportunity to to change a few things up you but do there's all there's also an issue um i i think in the forward line at, at present okay um, because none of them are firing in the in the manner that they were uh, sort of a month ago and I agree with that, Dan. But wouldn't you say that they're linked because they need the service from the midfielders and also the fullbacks? Wouldn't you? Isn't that also part of basically? It's all connected. It's all part of the engine, and the engine room is isn't firing on all cylinders. So then, when you go towards the uh, upper echelon where you need the goals to come from, if they're not getting the proper service that they need, you know, and we've seen it with Mitro that, you know, they're not going to be firing. They're not going to be scoring the way that we normally have seen. So it's all connected, but I agree with you. And But what's interesting here is that when you go back and you compare Marco's team to, say, Parker's team a couple seasons ago in the championship, the players would be scoring, I'm talking especially Mitro. Mitro scored the majority of the goals, Dan, but I think you're going to agree with me that the goals were more from his talent. Basically, he I'm not saying he did it on his own, but it wasn't set up for him. They weren't really giving him the service that he needs. And I think that's what you're seeing now. You are seeing a lack of service from Mitro. You're talking about Niskins and also from Harry Wilson. I think that they're not getting the ball the way that they need to get the ball. I think also part of that, when you watch the Sheffield United match, I thought they did a very good job of doubling up Niskins and Harry Wilson and not allowing our fullbacks really to get forward. And that, I think that caused a problem too. So I think it's not just about the strikers not firing on all cylinders. It's, it's why aren't they? And what do they need to get them to fire on all cylinders? But I agree with you that they're not, but I think it's all connected. Uh, yeah. There's a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of truth in that for sure. Um, I wonder about uh, how the schedule and the um, the run of games that people have had impact on players like um, Cabano and, and Wilson. You know, Niskins is having his longest run in the in, in the Fulham team ever. Yeah, um, and in large part, he's doing exceptionally well. You know, it was a disappointing performance on Monday night from him. But he wasn't the only one. No. And indeed, he ended up, he finished the game sort of playing in a sort of curious left wing back hybrid position that, yeah. that you know, I didn't I didn't understand. So how he made sense of it, I, I'll never know. Um, but, you know, I'm quite happy to persevere with uh, with Niskin's Cabano. Not so am I. Because some of the uh, alternatives don't fill me with... Um, well, confidence for one thing, or um, excitement for for another. Right. Um, we are short on, 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 in that in that left wing position. We um, are. If I'm if I'm if I'm candid about it, and I do think Harry Wilson is a is a pedigree player at, uh, at this level. He's an out he's an outstanding footballer. Whether you can just change the way they utilise him a little bit get him playing in a more central area at times to avoid what you spoke about, which is fullbacks 
uh, wide players from the opposition, nullifying this threat by right by sort of double marking him. Um, I, I don't know. You know, he has such ability to come inside from that from that right flank, but he's also you know he had a very good season with Derby, uh, as you'll remember. Yeah, I do the, remember. Uh, as a, a few years ago, playing as a sort of more conventional attacking midfielder. So yeah. you've got that. But I think the success of our side earlier in the season was when these players, and you, ha you have to put Fabio in the mix there as well, were interchanging. Exactly. It was, it was the fluidity of the movement. And as much as anything, the speed with which Fulham moved the ball. You know, we look a lot, we looked a lot more pedestrian in the last few weeks. And totally agree. Some of that is the fatigue and illness and injury and coronavirus issues that the squad has experienced, for sure. But some of that is also a mentality thing. If you move the ball quicker and you play at pace, defences, I don't care who you are, defences are going to struggle to, 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 nullify, um, to nullify you and keep up. Um, and that can have an impact later in the game as well, even if the scoreline is still level you know, teams can tire and, and you'll get more space. So I, I think it's a mentality thing. And okay. it's, also about, it's also about playing quicker at times because you mentioned it, you know, when you were watching the match, it was sometimes quite slow. and the ball It was, was very slow and laboured down. Um, so, so, you know, that's the first thing, regardless of the personnel. You've just got to move the ball quicker uh, because that's more difficult to defend against. Totally agree, Dan. And I thought Sheffield United were very comfortable at times. In fact, I would say the majority of the match because uh, they knew what they were going up against and they actually dictated how that match was going to go. They did. And at, to your point, I, I kept thinking to myself, they need to move the ball quicker and they were just not doing that. They were just being too patient. They were not taking enough risk. And I think that caused some of the issues and made it fairly easy at times for Sheffield United. All right, Dan, I, I have a question for you. This is from Benjamin Bird. Russ, can you ask Dan what he thinks of Silva's seasons at other clubs starting well and not going so well in the second half of the season? The opposite of Slavisa. Will the same happen to us? Interesting question, Dan. Yeah, it's interesting. And um, I know Ben is, uh, I think Ben is still in Spain. So he is. Sending him my, my best wishes and, and, uh, and Merry Christmas. Even if we have a lot of supporters in Spain, by the way. Yeah, it seems to be a growing enclave of uh, of Fulham fans. This is all remarkable to me because when I grew up supporting Fulham, you didn't find Fulham fans that much in London, never mind other parts of the world. Um, so, you know, uh, I still have to pinch myself sometimes about this global fan base. Um, on, on the question, yeah, look, I think um, some of this is uh, related to the teams that Silva was managing before. And the fact that a lot of the time, you know, he went into Hull City, for instance, in the second half of the season, and they were fighting relegation. So your your perspective is going to be different. Um, now, I'm not necessarily worried about us slowing down in, in the second half. I, I, I see potential um, for improvement. And I also think that Silva's had a fair bit of time to reflect himself on what might have gone wrong for him in previous managerial right. roles. He's had a long time out of the game. Um, he clearly studies football very intently. Anyone who reads um, what uh, 
Peter Rutzler has written over a long period of time since Silver's appointment um, for the Athletic uh, knows that you know Silver is a keen student of the game and he looks for self-improvement uh, everywhere that he can. Um, so I'm not necessarily worried that we're going to slow down uh, because I think all the ingredients are there for us to to improve. Um, and I think there's improvement to come from from the coaching staff as well as they get to grips with the league. You know, right? We lot we you know we had some very poor results in September, for instance, from which we then recovered. And I attribute some of that due to the fact that none of the you know Silver and his senior lieutenants, aside from Barmorte, none of them had any experience of the championship. You know. Um, and it was clear in the way that he set out his teams and how he wanted to play that there was a bit of a um, acclimatising period for right. him to, to, to the division as much as anything else. Um, the thing I, I wonder about is, is could Silva utilise more of his squad in the second half of the season? Could we see a bit more interchange um, between uh, players is there an opportunity to introduce a different system at times? Are we going to be a bit more adventurous? Um, do we need to be a bit more direct occasionally? Because in the early part of the season, Silver was very keen on getting the ball forward quicker. You know, Tim Ream spoke about that, about the need to uh, to feed the forward players um, more quickly. So. Um, I think that might be. I, I think there are ways in which Silver can can alleviate some of those concerns that Ben is is looking at, based on sort of a historical analysis of of his own performance. And I'd also say it's not especially relevant um, because Silver's managerial woes previously came in a higher division when his team were being worked out um, and not playing in the same in the same way really his Everton side were a lot more defensive uh, right. than, than this Fulham team currently is so largely because he was trying to, to get results so you know I think there are always things you can transfer um, but I'm not in answer to the question I'm not particularly worried that it's so extreme as to be a sort of collapse in the second half of the season oh, it could, of course it could happen right? Um, and we need to be alive to that but but I'm fairly confident that we can get back to, to winning ways and go on a little run, as we did, as you mentioned, after Coventry. I agree, Dan, and very good question from Ben. Thank you for sharing that. All right, coming up next, I'm going to ask Dan his thoughts on Marco Silva so far, the players, and we're going to end with another season prediction. Okay, Dan, let's get to it. Let's talk about Marco Silva so far. What's rate him from one to ten? What would you give Marco Silva? And I'll give a rating to. Okay, and I have to go first. Clearly, you're putting me in the hot seat. <laughs> I'm putting um, you in the hot seat. Yeah, I, look, I, I'm going to have to go for for a nine if we're talking about a numerical value. Yeah. Um, because we're top of the table, and we've been fairly convincing for most of the season. We're scoring a lot of goals, and we're in a very strong position. And as I intimated before, I'm actually enjoying watching this Fulham side and seeing them attack the opposition. You know, it makes right. a blissful change from, from 
what we've endured in previous seasons. And I understand why. I do think, you know, there's a philosophical point here. When I look at the young English coaches who are, who are starting out in their jobs, um, and I look at, say, you know, a Scott Parker coming into his first managerial job, and then I look at somebody like Gareth Southgate, who took on the England national team job, having not had a great deal of club managerial experience. He, he was at Middlesbrough for a while, and it didn't really work. The modern coaches seem to be very um, cautious and concentrate on defence and holding on to possession at all costs. Right. Really. I wonder if that's something in the sort of modern coaching style that they're taught on these coaching courses. I don't know. It's idle speculation. Yeah. Um, but I've I heard this theory enjoying... before, Dan. It's it's an interesting one because when you talk about Parker and Southgate, they do have that in common. Yeah. But I am enjoying the shackles being off. The one, the, the, the <laughs> so am I. I want, the thing that I want to, obviously, we all want to see more of is how we counter the... You know, a lot of teams play with three central defenders, right? And that seems to be a way now to... That's been the blueprint, um, my at friend. At least in, at least increase your chances of frustrating somebody like Mitrovic. Because, yeah. you know, basic maths tells you if you have three central defenders against one forward, it's going to be more difficult for sort of for Mitro to... Um, to either be on fire or to extinguish the opposition, if I can <laughs> extend the metaphor a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I do think we have to come up with a way of uh, of, of dealing with that. I agree. Um, and I do, uh, and I think we do need a, a another way of playing. Whether that's you know finding a way of Mitrovic and Muniz uh, being a partnership. I'm not as sold on that because if you look at Mitrovic's history as a centre forward, yep. he's much more effective as a lone centre forward than he is as part of a a a, a two-man front line. And I also think if you change the system that dramatically, you're then probably going to lose some of the effectiveness of a Wilson, a Cabano, and certainly the player yeah. who play in, in the. You're going to suffer in other places. I see where you're yeah. going. So, you could. You, you could do, but I still think it's incumbent on Silver to solve a couple of the problems that we've spoken about. Totally agree, Dan. How, uh, how do you switch it up to a different system? Um, you've got to have at least one in your locker that the players are comfortable with because they didn't look comfortable on Monday night when he took off uh, Robinson, who, by no. the way, had, had a No, that did game. not look right. <laughs> well, you know, and, and, and I sort of pondered to myself whether if you're going to take Robinson off, why don't you just put Joe Bryan on? Uh, I've seen others say that too. Uh, as a ready-made replacement. And then your changes to the team are not as, uh, and the system are not as drastic. But he does need a way to um, to uh, give the opposition something else to think about if, it, if it's not going well. But, okay. you know, well, I, I think it'd be churlish to quibble with the job he's done so far. You know, I know a lot of people did expect us to, to, do, to do well and to be at the top of the championship. I didn't. I thought it would take more of a take more of a sort of bedding in process and I thought we'd sort of fight our way to the automatic positions later in the season. So I'm very impressed so far. Okay. I'm gonna give it an eight point five. I actually had them winning the league, so they're where I thought they would be at this point. 
but because of the way things have ended, that's why I dropped it. Well, it wouldn't have been a nine to an 8.5 because I think there's an opportunity. What was that? We were allowed decimal places, Russ, Uh, you know, (laughs) okay. Always, always with Goldman, he has to introduce a new, uh, a new wrinkle. Dan gets to talk. Yeah. A new wrinkle. But to be fair, Dan, I'll start us off in the next one. And this one's going to be an interesting one, okay? Rate the job of the goalkeepers so far. So I'm going to go first. And this is interesting because you have two, Gazaniga, and uh, there's still the jury's out on, on him. And then he goes to Merrick Rodak. And I'm a huge fan of Merrick Rodak. And I was for this. Don't get me wrong. But I also wanted to see what they have with Gazaniga at times. I've liked what I've seen from Gaz. I think he's a good shot stopper, but I don't think that uh, he gives me confidence. You know, you know, basically coming for balls. I, you know, and again, I don't think he commands his box the way that Merrick does, and that's what gives me more confidence on Merrick. But if I'm grading them together, I'm going to say a seven point five, Dan. I'm, I'm going to go to the point five again. You and your point fives. Well, <laughs> okay. I mean. I think this is fairly simple. Um, Gaz and Eager, without being harsh, was rather an abject failure okay. at, at the start of the season. So if I have to rate, I'm not sure if I have to rate them individually or together. You can do them individually if you want to. Yeah. So, so individually, I'd have to give Gaz and Eager a five, and that's probably being generous. <laughs> um, because you know, when I close my eyes at night, the memories of some of those grim performances come back, particularly that pass out from the back that started our, our rut at Coventry. Oh, don't get me started uh, on that. But, oh, you know, yeah. look, I, uh, and I don't, you know, uh, he has pedigree, but he's never been a first choice goalkeeper in, in the entirety of his career. And there's probably a reason for that, Dan. Yeah. And I, and I think we saw it um, in the first few weeks of the season. It's not to say he couldn't be a very good goalkeeper going yep. forward or he couldn't be a good backup goalkeeper, but Marek Rodak has to be the, the number one goalkeeper, notwithstanding the fact that I felt maybe he could have got down to that shot on Monday night. Oh, I think he uh, should have, but... Uh, you know, but I'd be giving him an eight because he's definitely, okay. he's definitely improved the team defensively since he's come in. He's, uh, he's kept a number of clean sheets. He's confident at the back there. He communicates with his defenders. And, you know, I would want Fulham to uh, put their faith in Marek Rodak, whatever division we're in next season, because he deserves the opportunity, especially in the Premier League. Okay, very good. I I, I think he needs needs that chance. Okay. Okay, so now we're going to do the defense. And uh, I kind of like the way you're going, but for time's sake, you and I try to do this a little bit faster because we have a lot of players to get through. So I'll get us going because you made the comment before, Dan. So let me start it right back. And I'm going to give Kenny Tete – I'm actually going to give him an incomplete because I think that it's been stop and starts. He's been injured. If I had to give it a number, I'm going to say a six. Because, I, again, I think at times he's been good, but I don't think he's played enough. Dennis Adoy, for oh, all we, of shall his... We, shall, we, shall we do... Shall we do... You do one and then I do one, otherwise... Okay, fine. Oh, lose, that's actually lose, a good idea. Lose, I'll give you Dennis Adoy. 
Oh, right. I was going to do Kenny Tete since you Oh, okay. Kenny oh, Tete. fine. You fine. see what I'm saying? No, no, no. Yeah. No, we'll go back. I love how we're making it up as we go along. I realize that you're the host, but. You That's know. okay. Kenny Tete, yeah. Dan. Kenny Tete, I'll give a seven for the okay. simple reason that when he's been in the team, he's been able to find Mitrovic with those crosses. And Absolutely. That's something, that's something that we've missed when he's not been in the team. Now, there's obviously a problem with his injury record, uh, but I think if he plays regularly until the end of the season, he'll be part of a title-winning Fulham side because he's just that good. Okay. Okay, how about you for Dennis, and then I'll give Dennis. Oh, I'd give Dennis a seven. You know, I was quite down on... Dennis as a as well as to whether he could do the job that Silver wanted him to do, but for the most part, and there are a couple of exceptions, um, for the most part, he's been he, he did very well. Okay, I'm going to go with you, Dan. I'm going to agree with you. Seven. Okay, now let's go to the centre backs. Let's go to Tosin. I'm going to give Tos. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dan. Do you have something you wanted to say? Oh, sorry. When you said let's go to Tosin, I was going to Tosin. Oh, okay. Uh, Fine. Uh, Fine. We're, again, we're, uh, you and I are making this up as we go on. Dan, I'm going to give you Tosin. Tosin. I'll give him an eight because I feel like, again, for the most part, he's been excellent. Um, he's clearly the most commanding of our, our defenders in the air. Um, he's pretty good on the floor. He's had a sticky patch in the last few weeks, but I don't doubt that he could be Premier League quality in the future. And he's showing why it was so important that we held on to him um, uh, in, in, in the summer. You know, I, I, I've been impressed with him this season. Okay. I'm going to agree with you, Tosin. I'm going to give an eight. Tim Ream, Dan. Tim Ream gets a seven um, because I think there's still that, there, there is that vulnerability with Tim Absolutely. Ream. Absolutely. Which effectively is not his fault um, because he's a little bit older. And he's a little bit slower than what's around him. So clearly he's going to find himself in jeopardy at times. But he deals with it well. I don't have the worries that other people have when Tim Ream's around at this level. Um, And I think you've got to give him positivity for his longevity, his commitment to the cause and his reliability. Okay. All right. Just to annoy Dan, I'm going to give him a 6.5. I agree with everything that Dan said. I just wanted to go a little bit lower, but I'm going to go with 6.5. All right, Dan, right back to you. Let's go to the left back. Let's go. This should be an interesting one. Anthony Robinson. Yeah, I'm going to have to give uh, Jedi a six. um, Okay. Because I feel like he has all the attributes to be an excellent footballer, but it's not quite happening for him at the moment. You know, he's got, he's got great potential but I think even he would realise, uh, would admit rather that he's not he's not realising it at the moment. Um, okay. And a- actually, given our strength at left back, probably neither of them, neither of our, our two left backs, have really hit the heights that we would have liked. This no, I agree with that, Dan. Didn't you mention a fullback in the under twenty three under twenty three is a French fullback for us to look out for? Yes, yeah, so Ziad Lakesh is a very yes. Good young young uh, left back he's been playing very well for Steve Wigley in the under 23s came from Paris Saint-Germain um, probably a little bit early for him to come into the Fulham first team at this point um, but I wouldn't be surprised if he was one of the players who went out on loan in in, in January um, they're very they're very impressed with him 
and he he also has the ability to to go forward um, very effectively. So okay, we see more of that. Okay, excellent. All right. Since uh, Joe Bryan has barely played, uh, I don't think we're going to rate Joe. Let's just jump for time's sake to central midfield. Let's go right to it, Dan. I'm going to give you Jean Michael Surrey. That's it's got to be high. Yeah, I'm sort of between a seven and an eight. Do I get oh. to use the decimal places, for, or is that just in your domain? If if you if I if you if you help you me mean a seven point five? If I, if you help me to actual numbers, <laughs> I, I'd probably give Surrey an eight. Um, okay. Just because just because his return has so been so unexpected and he's given us some great moments so far. Okay. I'm going to agree with you, Dan. I'm going to say an eight. Let's talk about Harrison Reed. And I, the issue, I think, with Harrison Reed is more physical than anything else. But as you already mentioned, Dan, is he being asked to do something that he's not? And is that affecting his overall game? I think it might be. So give me a rating, Dan, for Harrison Reed. Seven for Harrison Reed because he's also had some injury problems and he hasn't quite been at the level consistently that, that you know we we know and like, but there's no doubt he's an integral part of the team. Okay. I'm going to agree with Dan on that. His grade, uh, I totally agree with that. Okay, Dan, let's talk, you know, and again, I understand that this player is uh, more number 10, but I'm going to include him in this. How about Fabio? Now, Fabio's an interesting situation. Let's just talk about his play on, on the pitch. You know, he's been injured too. I just focus on that. Give an overall grade for Fabio. Give Fabio an eight. You know, let's let's be clear about this. When he's been fit, when he's been playing, he's been really important to this team. He's taken to the championship really well. You know, there's no no doubting his quality in my mind at all. And he's still a young boy. He's still um, getting up to to senior football, but he makes it look very easy at his best. He's another one like Mitrovic. Yep. If you utilize him effectively. He'll be, a, he'll be a serious player. So Totally agree, Dan, and I'm going to agree with Dan on that. Now, uh, I'm going to ask you about Bobby Decadover-Reed. You know, you could put Bobby Decadover-Reed in, in plenty of places, but I'm going to think of him in this role. But, he, again, he can play out wide or he can play up front, whatever you need him to do. It's one of the benefits of Bobby Decadover-Reed, Dan. Give me a, a rating for him. Yeah, look, when, when you first said Bobby Decadover-Reed, I would have been in the sixth region. But I, I have to up it a little bit for his, versati- for his versatility, for the fact that versatility, for the fact that he is um, uh, uh, a willing substitute at times. He doesn't always get in the team. That he can uh, enliven performances um, from the bench, and you know he plays those lovely little little passes. Very instinctive footballer. I'll give him a seven. Uh, because I feel like he's had a good contribution so far, and he can he can do that going forward for us in a number of positions, as you say. Okay. Now let's talk about these two players. I don't know if we can really rate them because they just haven't played enough. One is Chalaba, and then of course Tom Kearney. I don't know if we have enough time in their mid-season career here for this season to really judge them. But just talk a little bit about both and what you expect from them moving forward, from Tom Kearney and Nathaniel Chalaba. So we need to see a bit more of Nate, Nate Chalaba. He's obviously got uh, great potential and great pedigree um, in the teams that he's already played for. So, you know, um, we, we just haven't seen enough of him yet for injury reasons more, more than anything else. Um, but he's around the team now. He seems to be on the bench. 
involved in a match day squad so hopefully we'll see a bit more look we i'm not sure we need to talk about uh tom kearney too much everyone yeah. knows everyone knows um his quality at this level we were all worried that possibly he wouldn't be the same player after his injury and that this was sort of the start of a long frustrating goodbye you know he gave us that wonderful moment against cardiff yeah which showed that he can still deliver those big moments and those great opportunities um and crucial goals so you know i, I expect kenny to be a big player going forward okay and uh, Kina, we've barely seen, so we're not even going to mention Kina, but I agree with both of your thoughts on Chalaba and Kearney. Okay, let's talk about the wingers. I'm going to get us going on both of these players, and then uh, I'll get a rating from you, Dan. I want to focus on Niskins, Cabano, and Harry Wilson. I'm going to give Niskins, Cabano, Dan, a nine. In fact, the only reason why I'm not giving him higher is because I think uh, he struggled lately, but I don't know if that's really down to him. I think it has to do with the opponents that are playing against him, and they're really focusing on Niskins. Pleasant surprise. Big-time pleasant surprise. I'm giving Niskins a 9. Harry Wilson, Dan, I'm only going to give a 7 because I expected more. I think I'm I, I think now understanding some of the criticism I've heard on Wilson is that uh, sometimes he's excellent, sometimes he's a passenger, and I think we've seen that from him. So I'm going to go with seven. I expected a little bit more from Harry Wilson. How about you on, on these two players? Yeah, look, I'd agree with you on these skins. He's been brilliant. He, he must be in the running for, for player of the season. Totally agree. At, at this point, he fully deserves his run in the team. Um, he just, Niskin's problem will, will be keeping that consistent level of performance. Um, but, you know, he's the first choice on the left wing at the moment. He has to be. Uh, so I'd agree with the nine. I'd, I'd stick Wilson as an eight. Okay. Simply, simply because when he's on, he's very, very, very good. Totally. And I, and I actually that's think true. I actually think we haven't utilised him as effectively. Okay. And in, in you mentioned last, that earlier in the last few weeks. So okay. You know, I'll give him an eight. Okay. So now let's go up front. Let's talk about Mitro and Muniz. Let's start with Muniz first. And this is a tough one because uh, if you follow the uh, transfer speculation, it was between us and Middlesbrough trying to get Rodrigo Muniz. And I guess some of the fun for some is that we get the player, but then he comes to us and you realize that he's really a, a raw prospect. And that's exactly what Rodrigo Muniz is, Dan. And, but I expect, I can see his ability. And I just think that you have to give some players more time than others. I think he's one of them. So I, I want a rating from him and then obviously on Mitro. So let's talk about these two players and then I'll uh, follow up. Oh, look, I, I, I like Muniz. I've, I've got to say that right off the bat. Um, I liked the ambition of going and getting a player who clearly um, needed some, some, uh, some nourishment and some cultivation um, as more of a project to, to invest in. So I'm not as concerned as other people with the, with the fee and um, his start. Look, he, he knows where the goal is. He scored a very instinctive goal against Reading, and he scored those two goals against uh, Blackburn. He's probably unlucky not to have a few more goals in yeah. the short amount of time that he's been playing because Munez's biggest problem is he's got the hardest job in football, being the backup to Alexander Mitrovic. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. For, t for two reasons. One, 
uh, Mitrovic plays when he's fit. And two, Mitrovic isn't often bad. So, you know, you're only going to get an opportunity for 20 minutes of a game uh, at the best of times. Um, look, we have to, just as, just as, just in the same way that we have to be patient with somebody like Jay Stansfield um, as he acclimatises to, to senior football, yep. we have to be patient with Munez because he's in a different country, he doesn't speak the language yet, he's learning about a new style of football and he's still learning about his own game. So, uh, and I think that faith will be be rewarded in Muniz. If you're wanting me to rate him on the basis of what I've seen, I'd give him a seven because I think he's been effective at times when we've needed him to be yeah. to be effective. And that's a big ask for you know a 20 year old who hasn't played in Europe before, never mind England. That's very interesting, Dan. And then let's talk about Metro. And after we talk about Metro, I do want to get back to talk a little bit about Jay Stansfield because uh, I, I was thinking about something when you just mentioned him earlier, but give me a, a rating for Mitro. Um, I'll say it. How can you not give him a 10? Uh, you know, again, but uh, there are things about Mitro's game, Dan, and I've been honest with this as a striker. Fantastic. I just don't like the other part of his game and uh, I'm not going to, you know, mark him down for that, but I don't like, his theatrics, Dan. I don't like the fact that he has a, the propensity to dive. Now, others will say, well, he's doing it for the team, and, and that could very well be true. I just, it's just, I'm not a fan of that. But overall, I can't deny that he has been an incredible striker, so I would have to give him a 10. Yeah, and I would come to his defense on the, uh, <laughs> on the sort of gamesmanship part. If you yeah. look, if you look at how championship defenders manhandle Mitrovic every week. Okay, that's fair. I mean, there was one even on Monday night where he was literally being put thrown over in the box and whoever the pundit was on on uh, on television yep. was saying, well, that's six of one and half a dozen of the other. And the bloke literally had his hands around Mitro's throat. You know, so look, I... I <laughs> I think, and, and speaking to, to a Serbian friends of mine who say to me that if you disentangle that element of Mitrovic's personality from his game, you'll get an entirely different player. I like that he's gesticulating to everybody, whether it's the referee, whether it's the coach, whether it's his teammates, I want the ball, give me the ball, <laughs> put it here. I like that because it demands high standards from from everybody and that's okay. just that's just his personality look okay. you have to you have to give him a 10 he's, yeah. the, he's the best player in the league oh i'm so i'm delighted that he's with us and scoring goals i'm delighted that he's happy here and you know he will prove everybody wrong next season in the premier league by scoring 15 goals at least under marco silva you can screen cap it you can send it to me whatever <laughs> whatever you want I really think he's a prime centre forward. That if the I team, agree, Dan. That if the team is set up for him, whatever the level, he will score goals. There are... And that's fair, Dan. And I don't believe it was the last time Fulham were in the Premier League under Parker. So I put that more on Parker than I do on Mitro. But, you know, again, their issue was between them. But I also think that Fulham weren't set up to feed Mitro. And I, I think that proved itself out. Okay. I mentioned I want to go back to Jay Stansfield. Whenever I've seen Jay Stansfield, I'm sure you've seen him a great deal more than I have. I'm impressed. I could see the potential he has, Dan. Here's my question, because, again, I haven't gotten a good answer on this. 
I've done some digging. Maybe you know a little bit more. Do you know what his contract situation is with Fulham? Because there was a report out there that he could be gone this summer on a free and that teams could be interested. Do you know anything? I don't want to uh, paraphrase your former president, but he had a he had a fa- he had a phrase for that type of uh, news report where he called things fake news. Um, okay. So, uh, as I understand it, Stansfield is on a long term contract until at least twenty twenty three. Okay. Um, so I don't believe that he's uh, <laughs> he's out of contract at the. Uh, Okay. At the, at the end of this season, where the confusion came from was the original report in the Daily Telegraph. Yep. Said said that uh, Fulham wanted to avoid a Fabio Carvalho type situation. Okay. With Stansfield, and Carvalho had six months left on his contract, and then the sort of clickbait website. I see. Picked it up and confused the issue. Um, okay. But you know, look, on the broader point, you know. Jay's been unlucky with a couple of injuries. Yeah. But, you know, he will be in, in, in contention for being another option as a, as a striker, you know, by the end of the season, I think, with the first team. I agree, Dan. I could see the ability. He has that natural ability. Whenever I've seen him, you could just see that uh, he looks like a striker, he acts like a striker, and I think he has something to offer for him. All right, my friend, I know we've been going a little bit long and thank you so much for everything that you've done for this show. I really appreciate it. A uh, couple things. First of all, who would be your player this season? We already talked about it. The easy answer, I guess, would be Mitro. But you also brought up Niskins. So is it just a flat out, it has to be Mitro? Or can you make the argument for Niskins Cabano being Fulham's player of the season or someone else? Well, I like to be argumentative, as you know, Ross. Um, <laughs> no, not at all, Dan. The, the, the obvious answer is Mitrovic, and you won't look past it. Uh, but I think there are a couple of people to throw into the into the conversation, certainly Cabano. Yep. You know, if Seri continues with his level of performance, I, I think he'd have to be mentioned in dispatches. And I think Rodak has to get a... Has to get consideration. It's been very good when it comes to this because you know you can't be a successful team without a solid defence, and he's completely transformed the defence. Uh, okay, since he's, all since right, he's come and in. that's fair, Dan. Like I said, it, it's hard not to give it to Mitro. I'm glad that you also mentioned Marek Rodak. We already talked about the difference in goalkeepers. It's pretty obvious, and but I don't think that it's unfair to bring up Niskins because I think he's been excellent. But you'd have to give it to Mitro. Okay. Now, Dan, you already said you gave your prediction at the beginning of the season, so we're going to do it again right now, mid-season. How is it going to end? Oh, sorry, we're not going to do that just because for for time's sake, I was actually thinking about asking. Well, we what, can do that. We can do. That are you sure, Dan? You, you want? I've got. Yeah, I've got actually, actually, you know what? I do want to know this because I have some thoughts on it. What positions would you add in January? Dan Crawford, you are Tony Khan. We moved them aside. It's now Dan Crawford as director of football. Hmm. What, a, what would what you a, do? What a frightening prospect that is. <laughs> Literally. Well, I think there'd be mass resignations within a couple of days. Um, uh, sorry, you totally blindsided me with that. With that, with that thought. I, I, um, I know I blindsided let, you let, with that one. So I, I think there are a couple of um, caveats to, to throw in here. 
Um, the scope for um, serious spending in January is limited because of the financial fair play position, as I as I currently understand it. Okay. Unle- unless we sell um, uh, players for for significant sums of money, I don't quite know what's going to happen with Anguissa. Napoli are probably not going to trigger that. But if they did, that could change things. If they it did, may, it may do. It may, it may do a, a tiny bit, but they're unlikely to trigger it while he's playing for Cameroon in the African Cup of Nations. That's because, true, because you know he could get injured and they could just be stuck with him for uh, on a on a permanent deal rather rather than alone. Um, look, there are there are a couple of positions. If you're talking about currently within the. Uh, Within the current setup, I'd be be looking at a left-sided wide player um, because there just isn't the backup for for uh, Cavano. Because not to be uncharitable, I'd quite like not to see uh, Cavallero and Knockout anywhere near the pitch again uh, okay. because that was pretty traumatic uh, the first time around. Um, now I, I I think we um, probably would like to upgrade at centre back at some point but I think that's probably more of an end of season um, scenario and you could make an argument for looking at possibly another um, centre forward okay. uh, to, to, to supplement that um, and I think you're then stretching it in terms of uh, bodies in the squad without people going out which right. is actually a more interesting question is who would leave and how would you get, where would they be going to? And that's a great question, Dan, and I should have prefaced that as well because you just mentioned two players that I wouldn't mind leaving, and that would be uh, Ivan Cavallaro and Anthony Knockhart. In fact, I think Anthony Knockhart needs to go. Cyrus Christie is a player that probably should go just for his own sanity. I, I, you know, and again, I don't think he's done anything wrong, but I just don't think, He's going to get time with Fulham. So I think that's a player that should go for himself. And then, you know, again, there are probably some other players that could go. And I'm going to throw this out there, and this is going to be a controversial one, Dan, because um, I'm down on this player. I'm actually down on this player. And you already mentioned that this player has the potential to be a good player, but I'm not sure if we're going to see it. And that's Anthony Robinson. I might, if someone came in for him, like a Premier League team, I might entertain a a bid for Anthony Robinson. Now, that might be controversial, but this might be a situation where you might be able to sell high on a player that has value, and that might not be what you want him to be. Now, I'm not saying that Joe Bryan is the be-all to end-all, but I would then obviously get another left back. But that's my controversial call of a player that I wouldn't be against them moving on for if they got the right offer Dan yeah look I think I I think it'd be a retrograde step we've invested in Robinson he's clearly got the potential to be to be a good player it's you know he's in a sticky spell of form at the moment um, but he's come out the other side of those spells before Um, look it would take a serious offer and I'm talking like 20 million pounds which is you really think it would be that high Oh, yeah. Well, I, look, if you put me in the position of director of... I'm putting you in the position of director of football, yes. Or whoever makes the decisions, or, <laughs> or even even the manager. You know, yeah. And you're, lo- you're looking at, how do I equip my squad 
for the remainder of the season. Right. Top of the league. Robinson has played the majority of the games. You know, you don't let one of your starting players go unless it's for very silly money. Right. Um, and I actually, you know, I'm not down. I'm not as down. You, you know, you see him play for the United States. I'm I sure. have. And, you know, from what I've seen of him playing for the United States, he's done quite well internationally over the he last has. Sort of he, six He has done fairly so. well. I'm, right? I, again, so, maybe my so, expectations are too high on him, Dan. Yeah, maybe that's but, what but, it is. Possibly. And I think there's a recency bias. You know, I, I think what you're looking at at the moment is a is a player who's lacking a little bit of confidence and maybe a little bit yep. out of form. You know, we do have the ability to rotate those two left backs and, you know, you can you can bring Robinson back. But I would, given the type of character he is and what he's gone through already to make it in professional football, having been released and, you know, all of those things, I would not be surprised to see him come back with a strong second half of the season. Okay. I, and I hope you're right. Listen, I... I want him to succeed at form. Don't get me wrong. I'm just, you know, again, maybe, like I said, maybe my expectations were extremely high for him and, and still are. And I see what he can do for the U.S. men's national team. So maybe that's where that's coming from, Dan. Okay. All right. Let's now go to predictions for the rest of the season, Dan. I predicted at the beginning of the season they'd win the league. So did Rob Wilson. So did Gordon Davis. I'm in very good company. What is your prediction right now? Are you sticking with your prediction from the beginning of the season, or do you want to change your prediction? Well, I think I predicted us to win the league. You I, did. I, I, thank you. Yeah. I, I, oh, okay. I, well, I thought you. I thought you said you didn't. Okay. All oh, right. No. What I meant. What I, what I said earlier on was um, was I didn't expect us to have a stronger start. I sort of thought that um, we would make a late run for the t for the title or, or the automatic promotion positions. Okay. I didn't expect us to be number one at this point, if I if I if I can put sure. it like that. Um look, if you're asking me right now, I think we, we will win the league. We should okay. be con we we should be confident of it. Um it obviously dep depends on uh, us fixing the problems that we've that we've spoken about and getting out of this run of form. Um, but there's no reason why we shouldn't win the league. And I'll put it this way. I don't fear, as I said to you earlier, I don't fear any of the other sides. Neither do I. You know, we, we have the capability. It's about executing our game plan and performing to our potential. I agree, Dan. And um, what's interesting about this, when you look at the teams closest to us, and I, I want to give a lot of credit to Blackburn because Blackburn have done an incredible job and forget about the fact that we destroy them. Pull that aside. You know, to be where they are, that's a credit to them. The West Brom situation is a little bit different. I have a good friend that follows them. He feels that they're missing something, potentially another striker. And Bournemouth is interesting, Dan, because, again, we'll, we'll go through the comparison the entire season because of Scott Parker. And uh, I was actually – they actually showed me something when they played against Fulham. But ultimately, I don't fear them. And I think that – was your point at the beginning. I don't fear anyone. I would say other seasons, there were teams that I might fear a little bit, but I don't fear any of these teams. So there's no reason why Foam can't win the league. So I'm going to stick with that. And I'll call it a Goldman. Dan did predict Foam would win the league. I got that one wrong. That's shocker. I got, that's a Goldman, but uh, he's still on record as saying Foam are going to win the league and I'm doubling down. I'm going to say Foam are going to win the league. Okay. Dan, we went a little bit over, but you know what? It was such a good 
conversation with you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I hope you did as well. It was great fun. Always fun talking Fulham with you, Ross, especially at this time of year when we're sort of uh, bereft of any Fulham matches to, no. uh, to to speak about for a little while, possibly. So, look, always, always great fun. Lovely to reflect on, on, a, on a successful Fulham team as well and a, on what has been a successful Fulham season uh, so far. So, look, want to wish you and all your uh, listeners a very Merry Christmas and uh, hopefully we can catch up again soon. Absolutely, and, and I want to second that. I want to wish everyone a, a very happy and Merry Christmas around the world, and uh, I'm glad that... I have the ability to do this show. I do it with some incredible people, including Dan. It's just wonderful to do. And uh, I feel very fortunate that we have this ability, this show, that I you know, have the ability to talk about Fulham because being so far away, Dan, sometimes it's really hard on me. Uh, but this keeps me connected. And I get to talk to friends talking about the club I love. It's just, uh, it's just wonderful. The one thing that, and again, I was looking for the comment, Oh, okay. Here's the uh, comment, Dan. And I don't know if we have any more information on this because you said it might be a while. Steve Turner has a question. Russ, is the Reading game on or off? I'm hearing conflicting reports. Dan, are you hearing anything on your end? So it's not off officially uh, yet, but Reading have a high number of uh, COVID cases at present, which is above the EFL's threshold for postponing games. So they postponed their Boxing Day game quite early okay, a, a few days ago. And um, yeah, if I was a betting man, uh, I'd, I'd expect for us to hear in the next couple of days that the game on the 29th is, uh, is off, oh. um, which, would, which would be a real disappointment because I know we've sold all the tickets yeah. um, um, for Reading. Um, so, so that that would be a shame. It's yeah. just a watch, watching brief at the moment. Um, I haven't paid any attention to anything while I've been uh, speaking to you, obviously. But I fully expect to come off this call and find more matches called off on on Boxing Day. Um, that's the one thing I would I would say to everybody. Yeah. Let's stay, let's stay safe over this. Uh, Absolutely, festive, Dan. Festive period. You know, it's a very difficult time um, for everybody and everyone's mental health. You know, the Fulham Supports Trust has just launched a, a mental health campaign today, One the One Fulham campaign. Uh, if supporters want to interact with that, want to start discussions with other um, Fulham fans, you know, we all know how difficult this period is, has been for everybody, you know, regardless of whether they're thousands of miles away like yourself, Russ. Yep. Um, I know your heart is in, is in, in London with us. It um, absolutely is, Dan. But, uh, I feel like part of me is always in London. That's so. it, absolutely. Uh, but we know how difficult this period has been been for everybody. And I would just encourage people to to speak about the difficulties they're facing, open up with, with friends, because a lot of people will be having a very different Christmas. I don't know what the situation is like in, in Massachusetts and, yep. and elsewhere in the United States, but I know that here a lot of people will be having a very different Christmas to what they normally enjoy with, with friends and family. So, you know, certainly uh, if anybody wants to, to talk about Fulham or, or share their thoughts, you know, please do and, and we'll have a nice uh, conversation. Absolutely, and I'm glad that you mentioned that, Dan. And also, listen, we're all disappointed. I just want to mention this as well, that the full match against uh, on Boxing Day against Birmingham City has been cancelled. Then, But the only thing I want to say about it, and 
I just wish only the best for everyone associated with Birmingham City. And uh, I just hope that we all just understand that, you know, again, these things happen. And um, there was a different reaction, if you remember correctly, Dan, last season when Fulham had to call a match off because of uh, COVID uh, issues, you know, a COVID outbreak. And I won't mention the other side's supporters, but they didn't take it that well. And certain manager didn't take it that well. And uh, all I can say about all that is shame on them. Uh, and that we should just realize what we're going through and uh, just be happy being with each other and stay safe. And that's all I want to say about that. I'm disappointed the match is not happening, but I know it's being done for real reasons and just want everyone to stay safe. And I'll just end with that. Okay. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Cottage Talk. For my very special guest, Dan Crawford from HamyN.com, I'm Russ Goldman. Thank you, as always, for watching and listening to Cottage Talk. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. It's the 90th minute and all to play for at the end of the match. All your mates are around. You've got your McDougat share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? I know I'm in. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.